Welcome to the New Life Philly podcast. Every week, we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, someone. Amen. Amen. God is so good. We need him. It's true. Every hour, every moment, every second, every minute, every day, we are a people in desperate need of a Savior. But the good news is that we have one, and he is there. Amen. From eternity to eternity, our God reigns and our God loves. He is calling a people to himself that will bring glory to him and will be living forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells. I don't know about anybody else, but that's good news to my soul. Amen. I need to know that in this messy world that we live in, there is something not only good, but great and mind-blowing on the other side. And that our God is about his task of doing his good work. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to get back into our series on the story of Jesus, as we go through Mark's gospel, we'll be looking at chapter 7 today, the first part of chapter 7. Um, but before we open and read the word of God together, let me just say a few things. Some of you may know the name Thomas Kuhn. He was a Harvard physicist, a philosopher, and a historian of science. He was born in 1922, died in 1996. He wrote a very influential book in uh, 1962, which was a great year, y'all. That's the year I was born. Um, he wrote a great book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. And he had previously written a book called The Copernican Revolution. And he, he began to talk about paradigms and paradigm shifts that change the way we think comprehensively about the world that we live in. It was a new way of talking about these things, both in science and in culture and in philosophy. So he introduced uh, the terminology of paradigm. It wasn't a new word, but he emphasized it in paradigm shifts. Now, Merriam-Webster defines paradigm this way. A model or pattern of something that may be copied. This is Merriam-Webster. And the other part of the definition is a theory or group of ideas about how something should be done, made, or thought about. That's Merriam-Webster. Now, I'm going to give you some more information on it from Larriam-Webster. Amen? (laughs) Paradigms are, by their nature, deeply entrenched ways of thinking. They're difficult to change because they seem to be etched deeply in stone through our culture and therefore paradigms that we have 
cause us to look at all new pieces of information in light of those paradigms. In this way, we process new information in such a way that it actually deepens what we already understand it, what we understood in the paradigm or understand it depending on how you use your language. But a paradigm is like a rut that gets deeper and deeper. It helps us make sense of our world. It allows us to look at new data and understand it. But here's the thing with paradigms. They're closed systems of thinking and they're self-perpetuating. Whatever new information comes in, I fold it into the paradigm. Because of that fact, changing paradigms is hard. Accordingly, a paradigm shift is defined this way. And this is, again, by Larium Webster. It's a fundamental change in the way we think about doing things that only happens when we are overwhelmed by evidence that the old paradigm does not work. There needs to be something overwhelming that knocks us out of that rut and gives us a new way of looking at the world and of understanding things. Now, I am introducing that concept because Jesus comes in Mark chapter 7, and what he's doing is nothing less than a radical paradigm shift to what first century Jewish uh, Christ, uh, Jewish believers uh, thought and the way they lived in first century Greco-Roman culture. Th- there was a diaspora of Jews. They were in uh, Europe. They were in the Middle East. They were in Asia. They were in uh Africa as well. They were all over the place, but they were wrapped together under a Greek and Greco-Roman culture and began to think a certain way. And Jesus is going to come in the midst of this and blow away the paradigms and ways of thinking that they have. So let's stand together and let's read uh, the first 23 verses of Mark chapter 7. And we'll do as we've done a lot of times in these longer passages. I will read the sections that are not bolded, and then you will read with great gusto the those that are in bold. So let's start reading the Word of God. The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing cups, pictures, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with the wild hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. 
Their teachings are merely human rules. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you do many things like that. enters a person from the outside can defile them for it doesn't go into their heart but into their stomach and then out of the body in saying this Jesus declared all foods clean and let's read the rest together he went on what comes out of a person is what defiles them for it is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Amen. Today, I'm going to speak on the subject confronting false Righteousness, confronting false righteousness. And the big idea today is this. I really want you to get this. Placing human traditions over God's commands fences people out of the kingdom, reveals a corrupted heart, and leads us away from God. You see, when we emphasize God's commands and paying attention to our hearts, this brings true righteousness to us and life and blessing to others as well. Let me pray. Father God, we pray that you will meet us in the coming moments through your word and by your spirit. Have your way and let your great name be glorified in and through your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So we look at this passage, want to kind of understand the scene that we're going into. There's two main scenes we're going to look at, but it's set up in verses 1 through 4. The Pharisees and the scribes have come from Jerusalem. They've come north back to Galilee. They've done this before. 
They've heard about all that Jesus is doing and saying, the works that are being done, the fact that people are following him. And so they have come to check him and his disciples out and they've come to see if they can catch him in any way doing something that is is wrong. They're looking, as it were, for a chink in Jesus' armor. Amen? And... But we, we need to understand a little bit of the background. We simply often uh, think of the Pharisees as these bad guys, these bad religious people that are doing all these evil things. But we need to begin to understand a little bit about the context that they're in. I mentioned earlier that this is first century Judaism that is being practiced in a Greco-Roman world. And what's happening Because Jews in the diaspora are all over um, the place, in in Europe, Asia, Africa, Middle East, Palestine, Judah, Galilee. They're all over the place. And now mostly they're worshiping in synagogues. And what's happening is they are being infused and sometimes overwhelmed with Greek culture. The Greek language becomes the lingua franca that's used for trade and for barter. Uh, Greek culture is spread through architecture. It's spread in many different ways. And this is a process that was called Hellenization, the making all things Greek that's going on in the Roman Empire. Even though uh, the empire belongs to Rome, Greece has, has had this incredible cultural impact and it has touched the Jews in the first century. And so in many ways, what the Pharisees are trying to do is they're trying to say, wait a second, we can't be swallowed up by this other culture, this foreign culture. We need to be a people set apart for our God. In Leviticus 19, verse uh, the Lord says, be ye, I'm going to give you some King James, be ye holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so the Pharisees care about this. They want to be distinct and set apart as God's people. What they're desiring is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. What's wrong is the way they went about it. That is what Jesus will confront. And so we look at the first scene here as Jesus confronts false righteousness. Verse 5 reads this way. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Why don't they do like we've taught them? The tradition of of the elders. Why don't they do that? But instead they're eating with defiled hands. What I want to look at is three things in verses 5 through 13. Three things that we see where false righteousness comes from. And the first is it comes from evil motivations. The Pharisees have come up from the south, from Judah, from Jerusalem. To catch Jesus in something in order to accuse him. They've come to denounce Jesus. 
They see his power growing and therefore publicly they are becoming less and less important in the eyes of many people. And so they bring this accusation. You've got to understand they bring this accusation to publicly shame Jesus. They want to publicly shame him. If you are such a great teacher, if you know God so well, Jesus, why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? Why are they defiling themselves and setting an example? If you're such a great teacher, don't you even know the traditions of the elders? There is an attempt here to publicly shame Jesus. False righteousness will come from ungodly motivations. The actions of Jesus and his disciples were eroding their power base. And by publicly shaming Jesus, now they can get the upper hand on him. Now I want to look at the next piece here. Not only is there evil motivations, but elevating traditions they're elevating their traditions now you'll notice as you read through this passage in verse 5 they say why don't you live according to the tradition of the elders boy that that sounds stuff doesn't it we should live according to the tradition of the elders every family kind of wants that in their family don't you know our family traditions that we passed on from generation to generation that's a good thing hold on to that hold on to those traditions and traditions in and of themselves we all have them we all have lots of them they can be very good things and helpful things but they're accusing jesus here and they're elevating their tradition. Jesus does not call these traditions the traditions of the elders. Look, in verse 7, quoting Isaiah, Isaiah calls them merely human rules. In verse 8, Jesus calls them human traditions. In verse 9, Jesus calls them your own traditions. He does not call them the traditions of the elders. But these are merely human things. They're your things. They're your way of doing it. They're simply human. And what does he contrast that with? He contrasts that with the commandments of God. There, there, there are two things at work here. What are you going to follow? The human tradition, the merely human ways, or the commandments of the living God. Here's what Jesus sees. Here's what's in their paradigm. These traditions that we have laid out, we've laid out in order to separate people into groups. Holy and un unholy. We can declare who's acceptable and who's not acceptable. This tradition was not a hygienic tradition. Wash your hands before you eat because you've been working outside. Your hands are dirty. We don't want you to get sick. That's not what this was. This was a ceremonial washing of the hands. What the Pharisees did is they took what happened in the temple and the way that the priests needed to ceremonially cleanse themselves and they said, 
every member in the nation of Israel should do the same thing. All Jews should do the same thing. It was not in the book of the law. It was not in the Torah. It was not in the prophets. It was not in the Hebrew Bible at all. But they said, in order for us to be distinct, we're all going to do this. Be ye holy, for I'm holy. Let's do it this way. Let's take this on. And so they take on uh, these traditions that set them apart from others. They, they take on, hear this, these traditions that make them distinct in such a way that if they had a church, it would not say all are invited. It said, we want a certain kind of people in here. Are you those kind of people? God always works towards inclusion, not exclusion. God is working to bring a people in, not to push people away. That is what God has been doing since the fall in redemption. He is bringing people in, not pushing people away. Galatians 3.28, famous scripture. Most of you, many of you know it well. You may know it by heart, but I think as by and large, we just don't get the impact of what God was saying by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.28. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's a powerful word. For a first century Jew, the world was divided three different ways. Jew and Gentile. He said it doesn't make any difference anymore. It was divided slave and free. He said we're all one in Christ. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Male and female, we're all equal in the presence of God. This was radical. The prayer of every Jewish free male in the morning was prescribed. He would pray, I thank God that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. I thank God that I am free and not a slave. And I thank God that I am male and not female. When Paul writes these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he shuts up the mouth of this separating idea and says, we come together under Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ. Traditions divide. Christ includes us and brings us in. Great passage in Isaiah chapter 42 uh, where Jesus is the suffering servant that is being presented to the Jewish people through Isaiah. It is the chapter where it says that a bruised reed he won't break. A smoldering wick he won't put out. And in that chapter in verse 6, 
the scripture says that this Messiah, this coming one, this suffering servant will be a light to the Gentiles. He'll be the one who sends out the message, come, come. And Jesus says it in Matthew 11, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Elevating traditions works to separate, to exclude. But Jesus says, you've got to rely not on your traditions, but on the commandments of men. See, when they are laying out their traditions, he says, you nullify God's word with your traditions. God's word says, honor your father and mother. In one way to honor them, especially in, in, in that culture, was to make sure they were provided for in their old age. There was no retirement system. There was no pension or social security. Social security and pension was your children providing for you. But he says, by the way you messed with your traditions, you can say, sorry, mom, sorry, dad. We set this aside for God, this property. We can't touch it because we've made a vow. We set it aside for God, so we can't help you. Jesus says, you do many things like this. You void out. And Jesus specifically mentions Moses. He says, Moses said, because for the scribes and for the Pharisees, it was other rabbis who said a lot of other things uh, that weren't in the Torah that they held in high esteem as if it was the very word of God itself. But Jesus says, not so. Moses said this. Don't nullify what God's word has said by bringing in these other things. And so Jesus is elevating the commandments of God. In Matthew 22, he's asked by Pharisees, what's the greatest commandment? And you know Jesus' response. He said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now he had answered the question, but Jesus didn't stop there. He says, and the second commandment is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus says these words, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. To love God with all your heart. To love your neighbor as yourself. Brothers and sisters, when we elevate traditions in such a way that loving God with all our heart and loving others as ourselves gets nullified by the way we do church, by the way we do things, by the legalistic systems that we set up, by the traditions that we have, God says, throw it out. Throw it out. I am not setting up up ways to push people out. I want them to come in. And so in this verse, in verse 6, Jesus says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. It's the only time he uses that word in Mark's gospel. You think of it, he uses it many times in other gospels. But in Mark's gospel, only here does he use the word hypocrites. In other words, you're two-faced. You're one way here, but you're another way here. He says that your worship is not going to make it. You elevate human commands and traditions. 
Here's what I want you to see. More rules and more regulations will never bring you closer to God. Someone say never. Though they may give you a sense of security, it is always a false sense of security. We feel secure because we've got all of these traditions, all of these ways, all of these things in place. And so we've got so many things in place, we hardly need to trust God anymore. <laughs> We don't have to do what the Bible tells us to do. Walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, and you won't carry out the deeds of the flesh. God calls us into an intimate relation with, uh, relationship with himself to walk by the Spirit, not to set up rules upon rules upon rules and regulations which push people away. Listen, let me get real practical right now for New Life Church. We had a congregational meeting last week, and you know that we're in discussions about where is God leading us as a church. And you also know that the elders have been in much prayer about this, much study, much work, many relationships. And we really believe that the Lord is leading us away from the denomination that we've been a part of for over 30 years, the PCA. That is not because the PCA is full of bad people that want to keep us from knowing God. That is not why. The PCA is full of men and women that love God and serve God, and we are thankful for many relationships that we have and will continue to have with people even if we're not in the same denomination. The problem for us is that we see with what God has given us to do and with where we are in our city that many of the ways that the PCA has do not help us to raise up the leaders that need to be raised up to reach the people that God is calling us to reach. We've got to set aside some traditions and come back to the commandments of God. We've got to come to a place where we say, how can we reach people best? Who can we raise up to lead? And we can't get tripped over little things that uh, won't be allowed within some denominational boundaries. God, help us to be a people that walk with you by faith and by your spirit. I just want to encourage everyone, let's go on this journey together. This adventure in Jesus where we are calling the nations, which are right here in Albany and in Philadelphia, we're calling them to the light of the Gentiles, even Jesus Christ. The third thing here that false righteousness comes through is evading God's heart evading God's heart. In verse 7, when Jesus is quoting, actually in verse 6, when he's quoting Isaiah, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Then verse 7, he says, they worship me in vain. The New Living Translation translates it this way, their worship is a farce. Their worship is a farce. Their worship has nothing to do with me. 
It has everything to do with making much of themselves. It has nothing to do with the heart of God. They are, by setting up these traditions and putting them over the word of God, thus nullifying the word of God, they are clinging to traditions rather than clinging to God. Brothers and sisters, the, the, the Lord is calling us in this passage to himself, not simply to a tradition, but to himself. John 15 is the great chapter on abiding in Christ. We see it over and over again. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me, abide in, you, in me, and you will be fruitful. You'll have much fruit. Abide in me. That is the invitation of Jesus. That word that is translated abide, meno is the Greek word. It means to dwell somewhere. It means to stay somewhere, to remain somewhere. One Greek lexicon says to remain in the same place over a period of time. Wait. God is inviting us not to set up more rules, but to wait on him. You want to know God's heart? You need to spend time with him. You need to be in his presence. You need to wait on him. You need to dwell there. But yet, the Pharisees here are evading God's heart. Let's go on to the final scene here. Scene two, embracing true righteousness. We see that in verses 14 through 23. Verse 14 and 15 read, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile him. Defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. What he's saying is this, an outside focused living will defile you. If you're simply focused on what's outside of you, he says, don't y'all know that's foolish? Just because you had bad tacos last night. Just because you've eaten something and got a little bit sick, that's something that's going to come in. It's going to go back out. It's not the thing that is going to change your life or your character or your position before God. Don't get stuck on things outside of you. He says they're not the things that defile you. In these verses, Jesus uses the word defile five times. And that word means to make something Common to make something unclean, to make something profane. It is the exact opposite of making something holy, set apart for God. The Hebrew word kadosh is holy. It means set apart. Now he's saying you're no longer set apart. You're defiled because you're just all about the things outside of you. You've got to deal with your hearts. The source of defilement is the unchecked heart. Our mess, every one of us, comes from our unchecked heart. You know the words of Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all else. It's desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? There is some mess 
in my heart. There is some mess in your heart. And when we are just looking outside, instead of looking inside, we're going to miss the real mess. Amen? God is calling us to look real mess. Look at verses 20 and 21. These are hard to read. He says, what comes out of the person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Look at this list. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils will break all of the commandments if we simply don't check our hearts. Jesus is calling us to check our hearts. So how do we do that? How do you check your heart? Let me give you three ways to do that. How do you check your heart? Number one, you do it, as I said already, by making abiding in Christ through prayer, meditating on his word, the character and the center of your life. Meditating on his word and character, making that the center of your life. Brothers and sisters, we're not going to grow in likeness of Christ. We're not going to check our hearts well unless we're spending that time in his presence. Unless we're meditating on his word and on his truth. He bids us to come and spend time and we need to do exactly that. Secondly, how do you check your heart? You check it by living in community with others, listening for feedback, and honestly taking it to the Lord. This is so important to us in our Western American individual culture where everything is about the individual. Every culture is not like that. But in our culture, this is a specific temptation for us that we get off by ourselves. We make every big decision in life without consulting with others. And if someone is coming against me or saying things that I'm in community with, I can either leave that community or I can just push their thoughts aside and not consider them because I know what I'm about. But if we're truly living in community, we've got to listen to healthy critique. We've got to listen to those that we're in community with that love us, that care for us, and are going to say things to us that will challenge us sometimes. God, help us to do that. And number three... How do you check your heart? You check your heart by developing and honoring close relationships, which include deep accountability. Brothers and sisters, if we're living in this life without relationships where there's deep accountability, we are on a crash course. With sin, we're on a crash course to become those who shame the gospel rather than give glory to Jesus Christ. We need, you need, I need relationships where someone can speak into the deepest part of our lives and we have to listen. We have real and lasting accountability 
with those who love and care for us. Let me conclude this with a few thoughts. First of all, I want to put that quote up on the board. This was powerful to me. It says, God does not always respect the boundaries we create and carefully protect. Drawing lines in the theological sand may serve our purposes, separating the good guys from the bad guys, and that can be helpful because it's hard to know that you're on the inside unless you know who's on the outside. That's what traditions do. Unchecked by the commandment of God to love him and to love others and to bring people in. But it goes on to say, but God has a studied disregard for anxieties of this sort. Thank you, Jesus. He says, prodigal grace keeps spilling over into alien territory. If you're here today and you call the name of God and you can say, I know I am sure enough saved by the hand of God. It is not because you followed some rules that you got the traditions right, but it is because of the prodigal grace of the living God who has loved you before the foundation of the world and will love you all the way into eternity. It is his overflowing grace his prodigal grace his extravagant grace that allows us to live and thrive in him I'm going to read something else it's not on the board but I need you to listen to this and this is from the NIV application commentary from these verses they say Jesus is like those who want to run the church for those who do not yet attend in other words, Jesus says, I'm going to be a light to those who aren't in yet. We're not a stoplight. We're a green light. Come in, come in, come in. Jesus is like those who want to run the church for those who do not yet attend. Then they say, how do we include them into the family rather than exclude them? What can we do? How can we set things up? How can we live? How can we worship? How can we be a community for God in such a way that we will always be including and not excluding? This is the desire of Jesus. This is the paradigm shift. Not that we're set apart in such a way that you can't come in, but we're set apart and we're set up as lights. We're set up as, as those who point out to the goodness of God and draw others unto him. And Jesus' teaching affected Paul so much that as a missionary, he had practical application of what it meant to live this way. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 27, he said, eat whatever set before you, missionary. Don't tell him, oh, I don't know about that food. That looks a little weird to me. No, he said, eat it. It's set before you. You want to win somebody, love someone through eating their food. He says to the Romans that no food is unclean in itself. He says again to the Romans three times in chapter 14, Quit judging others. Stop it. Stop it. Don't nitpick. 
Don't say, this is what our tradition says. Don't be like that. He says, accommodate them, love them, stop judging them. It says in Romans 14, 13, don't put stumbling blocks in their way. Make a way for them to come in. And I love 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul says, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might win some. He says to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those without the law, I became like one without the law. To those who were weak, I became weak. I became whatever was necessary to become in order to point people to the living God who has saved me, who has kept me, who is my hope. This is our call as his church. In the Jesus community, hear me, there's room for wide differences. We don't all think the same way. We don't have to. There's room for growing. There's room for people not seeing everything the same way or doing things the same way. We can live in that difference in the Jesus community. In the Jesus community, we realize that we are people saved by grace. That we are a people desperately in need every day of that grace. And if we're becoming more like Jesus ourselves, we are a people who are freely dispensing that grace to others every day. This is the paradigm shift that Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago. It's been one that we've been slow to get. Just like those disciples where he said, are you so dull? The church has been dull. We separate, we divide, we're looking for our kind of people. He says, if they're created in my image and likeness, they are my kind of people. Brothers and sisters, the time to embrace the Jesus community paradigm shift for us is right now. I pray that you'll join me here in looking to Jesus, looking to those two commandments to love God and to love others, not the traditions of men. Not looking to false saviors, but looking to the one true savior. And I pray that you will join with me in moving forward in trusting Jesus in his grace-filled, messy, crazy, diverse, and never quite mapped out work in order to reach people all around us with the good news of the life and the peace that comes from Jesus alone. Let's break those old paradigms. Let's become a people. The, the very end of the scripture, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, I think. Jesus says, it's in red letters in my Bible. <laughs> the spirit and the bride say come 
there's this invitation to come to come let us be that people who make that invitation the center of what we do as the people of God let me pray Father God we thank you today for the matchless work of the Lord Jesus Christ Lord you have wooed us into your kingdom you've loved us you're not keeping us out by traditions or rules but you bring us in by your love and by your spirit Lord I pray for this church that we would be a people marked by gracious love they may not be able to mark who new life is by economics they may not be able to figure out who we are by race. They may not be able to categorize our church by political affiliation. But Lord, I pray that the testimony would be they sure love me. They love their community. They love people well by the power of God. Lord, do your work in our hearts set us aside to give you glory and honor and praise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's Word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast. If you would like to reach out to our church for more information or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you this week.